The year is 2024. So why is he talking about movies from the early 2000s? I don't know. That's right. <laughs> For the very first time ever, I'm giving my list of favorite films from the 2000s. Yeah, sure. <laughs> don't let me hear you say lights, taking you nowhere. Life's begun, nights are warm and the days are young. Come, 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 come. There's my lost, but so I'm big and you save a little soul. Last night they loved you, opening doors and pulling some strings. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Clear Tinted Classics, the show where I, your host, Jake Ryan Baker, normally watch classic movies for the very first time and give my nostalgia-free opinions on them. But today, is a, I guess, is it a special episode because I'm not doing what I normally do, or is it a not special episode because I'm doing this blow-off class episode? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, as you probably saw in the title, and I'm sure I'll come up with some kind of intro, which I probably should have done, so I don't have to make work for myself later. <laughs> Why do I do this to myself? <laughs> but yeah i um i wasn't really sure what to do for this week's episode i was so good and booked so many guests before the holidays and i banked up all these episodes and i i finally i finally have run dry and i'm here it's uh it's tuesday the day before i need to put an episode out and i just don't I just don't have it in me. I don't feel like there's nothing that caught my eye. I didn't feel like watching a whole movie and recording a thing. So I just, and what's the point of doing the show if it starts to become not fun? So I, I'm kind of copping out. You guys know I do this sometimes. It happens. Uh, <laughs> I just wanted to do something fun and it sounded fun to do, uh, just make a list, make a list of movies I like instead of like having to think too hard about it. But then of course I became, uh, spent a decent chunk of last night crawling through letterbox looking at every single movie from the uh you know early 2000s the aughts as they're called <laughs> and trying to figure out what my favorites were and sweating over how to make the list it it was basically making this list i think the top seven ish maybe top eight somewhere in that neighborhood were pretty easy for me to be like yeah these are my favorites and then i have a whole mess of like movies that i like but it was like i don't know if i could fully put this on the list I, either i haven't watched it enough or it just is a movie i like but it's not necessarily a movie i think is like amazing or anything like that and so i just have just an absolute mess at the bottom but i guess we'll see what happens um sorry uh for for random the randomness of this week but it just sounded fun to me and one thing that was interesting putting this list together is there is a handful of things. I don't think there's uh, actually, you know, that's not true. Uh, the, there's a big one on this list that I discovered through the show. And, and then a lot of my honorable mentions are definitely things that I've watched for the show and things like that. So, uh, you know, I, 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 I even though I the <laughs> love being alone, <laughs> this is why I like having guests. I, I can, uh, it's <laughs> that's why I like having guests, but, you know, when I started the show, I thought I'd probably 
mostly focus on movies before 2000, but I do find myself doing a lot of somewhat recent movies, like movies that came out in my lifetime, but that's okay. I mean, it's sad to admit, but we're in the 2020s now, so things from the aughts, some, some of these movies are over 20 years old, which is like, yeah, you know, I think that certainly qualifies, and, you know, I've watched a few of them. I've discovered a few of them for the show. Honestly, there's a couple on here that's that I would maybe have put on the list but i just had only seen them the one time for the show but i do remember them quite fondly but you know let's let's not faff about let's not faff about too much I, i'd say that really my only here's like the rules of the list as it were uh first and foremost as always with lists like these uh do keep in mind that uh, this is this is my opinion. These movies are the movies that I like. This is not me objectively saying these are the best movies of the 2000s. Uh, these are just my favorite movies from the 2000s. And that all along with that, do keep in mind, it's not like I've seen every single movie from the 2000s. Even just going through the list of stuff, I was just like, oh man, there's so many movies that I wish I had seen before I did this list. And even like as I got more in the weeds, there'd be more obscure things that were really well regarded because that's kind of how Letterboxd is very what's popular. And then some of the stuff that it sort of leaks in is popular just because it's so well regarded. And I just like I saw a handful of movies that looked really interesting. I saw a handful of movies that was like, oh, man, I really should watch that. There's like some prestige movies that I hadn't seen. You know, there's a movie called like The Diving Bell and the Butterfly, which is apparently just this soul crushing, heartbreaking, amazing film. and I know I would love it if I watched it, but I just haven't seen it and things like that. But I, I didn't watch anything special for this list. I just sat down last night and made a list based off of the things I've seen up to this point. Uh, if, if movies you like aren't on this list, that's okay. Art is subjective, and uh, no, I would imagine nobody's lists would ever be the same, especially when you have over a decade of films to pick from. Nobody's list is going to look the same. I hope that my hope is that like you either get a couple recommendations from this or you get some validation from this in the sense that, oh yeah, I really like that one. I'm glad Jake likes it too. Or, you know, it gets you thinking about the aughts. Cause I do think the aughts gets kind of pooped on a little bit in terms of a decade in film. You know, a lot of times we think about the cycle of film through the decades and, and I've, I've openly been mean to the aughts, but there's some, I mean, there's some great movies. Some of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, as you'll find out on this list, are were made in that decade, and so there's there is good shit. Uh, you know, it's basically the aughts are. You know, I always say, "Oh, I'm a '90s kid. I was born in '90," but I mean, I think a lot of my core memories are from the aughts. So you know, gotta gotta give some love. Gotta give some love to the aughts. Am I gonna say aughts a million times in this episode? Speaking of though, I was trying to remember. So I I, I have a, a video I did that I'm quite proud of where I did my top 10 films from the 2010s. And I've, I've talked about it on this, on the show. I think once I put the audio from that episode out as an episode, cause I lost my voice or something. That was a crazy week. Uh, <laughs> but I was trying to remember if when I did that list, I included movies from the 20 or from 2010 specifically on that list. And I was looking through my old, thankfully I had made like a letterbox list of everything I was considering and I was considering movies from the 2010, I almost said the 2010s again, but from 2010 specifically, the year 2010, I considered movies from that. I had stuff like Super, and uh, there was a couple others that I was considering putting on the list that didn't quite make it. So that being said, the qualifications for this list in particular are 
the movie has to have come out between 2000 and 2009. Like it could come out on 2000 or 2009, but that's that's the window that we're working with here. Uh, which makes me sad because uh, if I had seen Black Swan before I did my 2010s list, I would have put Black Swan on that list, but I hadn't seen it at the time. Or at least I'd seen bits and pieces of it when I was young and thought it sucked, and I, I've really come around on that one. But a uh, special shout-out to Black Swan. It doesn't quite make the cut for this list because it came out in 2010, and it, I missed it on my 2010s list. Big sad, but that's okay. Uh, so yeah, everything that's on this list is from either 2000 to 2009. Uh, and so, yeah, it was there. I had some other caveats. Like, this is my list. Don't get your panties in a bunch about what I do and do not like uh the qualifications uh oh that's right i did have one other thing i like i did with my 2010s list i'm trying to limit myself to like one per director pretty much because otherwise my list would just be basically like two franchises and that would take up the majority of my list so i basically forced myself to pick my favorite from certain directors and that that just is what it is you'll you'll see what i'm saying when i uh, it'll really make sense when I get to my third and fourth favorite uh, film films. <laughs> I have a podcast and I can't talk. Uh, this is a great combination. <laughs> but anyway, without further ado, let's 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 get on with the list. Let's start off with our honorable mentions, of which there are many. Uh, we're not going to spend a long time dwelling on these ones, though. They don't they didn't make the top ten, so I don't get to wax too much poetic about it. That's that's my punishment for not putting them on the list even though i liked them so uh right off the bat we've got super bad it's just one of the comedies i grew up watching i've watched it a million times that's hyperbole but i have watched it a lot uh and it still does not fail to make me laugh to this day i still think it's pretty funny i think the story is like a lot sweeter than people probably realize the the friendship at the core of the movie is quite good and, you know, I just, it's a funny movie and I, I like it, but it's definitely not, I'm not putting it on my top 10, but I, I just, it, it would feel disingenuous to not mention it when talking about this decade. Next up, this was one of my harder cuts. It really only didn't make the top 10 just because I've only seen it in its entirety, like once or twice. And I just, uh, I don't know. It was weird. It's one of those things where this director, I kind of like a couple of his other films better but they're from a different decade, so it's like, well, why not put this one on the list? I don't know. It just, last night it made sense to me to only put it in honorable mentions, but I'm already kind of regretting it, but it is what it is. But that's uh, In the Mood for Love uh, by Wong Kar Wai. One of my favorite directors, I would say. In the Mood for Love is maybe his masterpiece. I don't know why it's not on my list. Uh, it's on my honorable mentions. It probably should be in my top 10, but it just fell to honorable mentions for some reason. Uh, it's more just, I don't know. It's, it's an incredible movie. It just, when I think about what I like about him as a director, I do gravitate more towards Chunking Express and Fallen Angels, just because those movies are so crazy and sporadic, whereas In the Mood for Love is very, uh, it's just, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's great. It's a fantastic movie. For some reason, it's not in my top 10. I don't really have an explanation why. Uh, <laughs> maybe I'll regret that later. But uh, next up, uh, a personal favorite of mine, Jennifer's Body. It's had a bit of a cult revival. I'll always bring it up when talking about this decade. It's a movie that was unfairly maligned when it came out. I love it. I don't think it's flawless, but it's just a good time. I can never not be happy when I'm watching it. Uh, 
Hollywood has done Megan Fox so dirty, and they've done Karen Kusama so dirty, and it makes me sad. And uh, I hope the best for all of them because they deserve it. Uh, one honorable mention I'm going to leave off for now because it would sort of spoil my list because it's it's uh it's only an honorable mention because I put something else from this director higher, so we'll get around to that. Uh, next up is Martyrs, the French version from 2008. Uh, when I think about movies that have fucked me up forever, uh, this is on the list. When I was watching it uh, for the first half, I was like, I think this is my new favorite movie. And then it gets really dark, and it's a movie that I don't know if I'll ever watch again, but it was a very special film. And it lives rent-free in my mind forever now, so it gets that distinction. <laughs> Uh, next up, we have a movie that I'm surprised also isn't in my top 10, but I guess it's just how it shook out. Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. I love this movie. I just think I've watched it a couple times recently and I still love it, but I, I've seen sort of the, I've seen sort of the crack in the seams a little bit the more I watch it, but it's never not fun to watch. I, I'm all in on Shane Black for the most part, other than that fucking Predator movie, which you guys know if you listen to the show, I, I hate the Predator movie. Uh, that he made it's terrible but i love kiss kiss bang bang and it's always fun and got to be mentioned uh next up is a really out of left field one there's this movie called deb's it, it's been a long time since i've seen it but i always think about this movie this is one of those movies where everyone that's in it i sort of recognize them from this movie it's and it, it's one of the first like very gay movies i saw when i was younger and i don't think i realized how much that stuff would sort of shape my taste as I got older, but I'm just always thankful for it. It's a messy as fuck movie. Like it's super all over the place and it's silly, but at the end of the day, it's just like one of the very first, just like unabashedly gay movies I've ever seen. And it just has a special spot for me. I'm not going to sit here and say it's a masterpiece, but yeah. Also the, also the director is the same director who made uh uh, Professor Marston and the Wonder Girls, or whatever that movie's called. It's a terrible title, but it's a great movie. Uh, also, a pretty gay movie, and I, I enjoy that. <laughs> uh, next up, we have Hard Candy. I just love how contained this movie is. It's basically two characters in a house, and yet I'm just glued to the screen the whole time. It's dark. It's interesting. I think the subject matter is... It's one of those things where there's a lot of people that make a lot of movies about oh, uh, human trafficking and bad guys doing this, but this is like a movie that is about that, but it's so it just stays so focused on the characters that it still feels like a movie and not some kind of weird pandery cash grab. I, I, this is a weird moment to grind this axe, but I just have noticed there's a lot of movies about like human trafficking and assault and things like that where I just feel like the filmmakers are being really disingenuous with the fact that they don't actually care about these things it's just that they knew they could get eyes on their project because they can say oh it's like a story about sh shining a light on the corruption of this that and the other thing it's like hard candy just feels like so focused and yet it still it has like such a big impact like socially that i just really respect the movie and it's dark and fucked up and i, I like that stuff so hard candy is a movie i came to somewhat recently but when i was looking through the movies that came out in this decade i was like oh yeah i gotta gotta mention that uh here, here we get into a couple that I movies that I did discover through the show. Uh, Ginger Snaps. I mean, what else is there to say? Where werewolfism, lycanthropy, <laughs> is that what it's called? Uh, as a metaphor for getting your period and like growing up. It's a horror movie wrapped up in a coming of age movie. Uh, it, it's just a 
good time. I, I really like this movie. I don't think it, again, it's one of those movies that's like, it's got flaws for sure, but because it hits so many beats that ring true for me, I'm just always going to enjoy it. Uh, another one, this one was really hard. These last three, I'd say, were really, really hard to leave off the list. I basically, the biggest moment I had making this list was I came down to, I had, I think, I had four, no, I had three spots left and I had six movies that I wasn't sure where to put. And so these last three were tough for me. Uh, one of them is Punch Drunk Love. I think to date, it's still my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movie, which is saying a lot because I've enjoyed every single one of his films I've seen. Uh, the only reason I think this isn't top 10 status is I just haven't watched it enough, but I do remember it very, very fondly. And I, man, it's just, it's such a good time. Another one is Training Day. It hurt to leave this one off the list too. It, I just find Training Day to be so endlessly watchable. It's one of those like, if it's on TV, oh shit, uh, I get sucked in immediately. I don't know why it's not in my top 10. I just, as some other things kind of edged out in terms of like my taste in films these days, it is a little too, uh, at times it's like a very macho movie. And, but I mean, it's like one of Denzel's best performances and that's saying a lot. Cause I mean, my man, uh, <laughs> Denzel is great in everything he's in. Has he ever been bad in anything? And so, yeah, he, but I mean, training day is just, just peak. It's so good. Uh, and this one I actually swapped last minute with my new number 10, but, uh, Atlantis, the lost empire, the animated film, uh, I just, I had it in 10 and it felt a little disingenuous because it's not a movie I've watched a ton growing up. It's not like, oh, and Atlantis was my favorite animated film when I was a kid and I just have watched it 5 million times. No, it's more just like, I don't think it's like a perfect movie essentially, but it's so good. The characters are so distinct. The world is just, it's, there's something really special about it. People bring it up sometimes. There's this like lost chunk of Disney stuff that came out that people really liked and was actually quite good but it was like when they were transitioning into a different sort of brand so these movies never really crop up but atlantis is one of those movies i threw on like a couple years ago on a whim and was just like fuck this movie rules uh, just everybody's so good the performances are great the animation's so smooth and good the world is just it's one of those movies that it's not so much that the movie's like perfect because it's not but you you sink into the world like a warm bath, and it just really lights my mind up with possibilities of, you know, just Atlantis as a concept is always fun. There's so many directions you could take all these characters. Almost every character in this movie could be the hero of their own story, and I think it's just really well fleshed out. And just, I don't know, it's a movie I think about all the time, and when I was going through the movies that came out this decade, it just was like, yeah, this movie's awesome. I, I love it. And I feel bad for not putting it on the list, but it felt a little disingenuous to be like, and then my number 10's Atlantis, so there. Ha, how's that for a deep cut? Not really, everybody loves it, but <laughs> but still, yeah, you get my point. But that does bring us to number 10, so what is, what should we, should we be all special about it? <laughs> number 10! Uh, this one's, again, it sort of swapped in and out of the list. I, I feel a little shaky about my 10 and 9, but it, uh, I was trying to make a top 10 list. That's, 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 that's what's popular. <laughs> so my number 10 is black snake moan. Um, I feel like this is a movie I always think is like 
super well regarded and then i look it up on letterboxd and it's like oh yeah it's like middle of the road 3.2 out of 5 type thing but i don't know what to say other than i really really like this movie i think it's uh you know speaking of actors who have turned in a million great performances i think it's one of sam jackson's better performances i think christina ricci is is just magnetic in everything she does there's just like this movie's just hot and sweaty and sexy and kind of fucked up and the music is really good but it's contained and it turns like it's nice to see a, a movie where there's like their relationship is kind of weird but it doesn't go too dark uh it's it's one of those things where i'm sure i could get really into the weeds about like the sexual politics of the film and i'm sure some people find it like bad like because i mean <laughs> there's a lot of it's basically like christina ricci's like oh there's a she's got a dark spell on her and you literally have to chain her up to a radiator to get her to stop fucking people and stuff but i think ultimately why it works so well for me is it still feels very interested in the interior life of our two main characters and they find this weird connection with each other and they find a way to heal through each other because you know it's that classic thing where it's like outwardly christina ricci's character has all these things going on and then as the movie develops you realize sam jackson has a lot of fucking problems too and they're able to like kind of help each other through these things and then again the music it, the music just fucking slaps it's so good i i tend to like most uh, the director's name is craig brewer he's also the guy that made hustle and flow and he made like the new dolomite movie and i just you know uh he usually if he's behind the wheel i'm excited to see what he's doing but this is my certainly my favorite from him there's just something I, I like this. I like Southern movies, just sticky, sweaty South. I, there's just something about that aesthetic that really gets to me. And, and you know, like I said, with the hard candy and things like that, I really like a contained movie. Um, I don't know. I, it's just a movie I talk about all the time. I'm just like, you ever see black snake moan? I fucking love that movie. Uh, and just, and just when every once in a while, there'll be like a picture of, of it that crops up. I mean, Sam Jackson from the movie has been memed. Uh, where he's looking all crazy with his eyes or it's like me at the beginning of the work week and he's like smiling and then me at the end he's all wide-eyed looking crazy so i mean even if you haven't seen the movie you've seen the memes but i don't know i just think uh it, it really it really works for me i i'm not 100 percent sure if it's top 10 list material maybe if i'd seen more movies something would have knocked it down into honorable mentions but when i was looking through my honorable mentions it, at the time it felt the worst to leave it off the list do am i looking at the list now and kind of w wishing i'd swapped in like punch drunk love or in the mood for love yeah but uh that's what i wrote down before i started this episode and that's what i'm i'm sticking to it <laughs> uh yeah black snake moan number 10 i i i like it obviously i put it on my top 10 list of an entire decade <laughs> uh number nine uh is I felt like I had to put a comedy on here somewhere. I think the, I think the aughts were our last gasp of really taking a stab at like rom-coms and things like that. And my favorite from the decade is Forgetting Sarah Marshall. I tell people all the time it's one of my favorite romantic comedies. I think this movie slaps. It's endlessly watchable. Everybody in it is great. Uh, honestly, the only thing that casts a cloud over this movie at this point is it turns out surprise surprise russell brand is is a true scumbag and that sucks uh i haven't watched it since it was like confirmed that he's like uh he's a parasite but 
maybe it'll bring the movie down a couple notches. But that being said, I just think Mila Kunis and Kristen Bell and Jason Segel are just so good in this movie. I, I, I think of many, many scenes very fondly. This is a classic. Oh, oh yeah, this scene's coming up. Okay. Oh, but then this scene's happening. Okay, cool. Oh, now he's doing the vampire song. Or now he's sad in the bar. Oh, now they're at the cliff and they're going to jump off the thing. Like Mia Kunis is just amazing in the film. She, uh, she kind of is like serving a slight manic pixie dream girl role. But again, something that I think is common in a lot of these films that I'm talking about is she does have her own interior life. She's got a lot going on. And Jason Siegel's like a little bit classic, sad sack guy, but he's just, you know, I think one of the tricks to making a character like that work is he is sardonic. He does have like a a edge of darkness to him. He has hopes and dreams. He wants to make his Dracula musical. He's aware of the world around him. And, and, you know, like it's, it's not talked about a lot because a lot of these Hollywood movies, you kind of just have to hand wave that everybody's hot, but Jason Siegel's a good looking guy. Uh, And, and like the conceit that, like the entire conceit of the movie, the titular Sarah Marshall is Kristen Bell's this super famous actor and they're dating and he's just like a random composer guy. But you can kind of imagine how that happened. And now she's kind of outgrown him. And it's just like, it's just good. The comedy's good. Uh, It looks great. You want to be in Hawaii when you watch this movie. Like there's a lot of movies they shoot in Hawaii because actors just want to go be in Hawaii for a month or two. But I think more than most of them, this movie just makes me wish I was on the fucking beach. Uh, and, and there's a lot to say about that. I, I just like it. It's, it, I just, I was like, I need to put a comedy on here and forgetting Sarah Marshall is my favorite of, of the two thousands comedies. It's the one I always bring up and it's the one I'll continue to bring up, even though there's this fuck you, Russell brand. <laughs> but uh, other than that, I mean, I, I love this movie and it's a uh, number nine. Number eight. Now we're getting into the stuff that I feel really confident about. Uh, number eight is a knight's tale. Now you might be saying to yourself, a knight's tale. Is that that weird, uh, medieval movie where they play like ACDC music or something? I think I remember that Heath Ledger, right? Uh, and to that, I say, yes, that movie's awesome. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. I love a knight's tale. I'll never not love a knight's tale. It's essentially a sports movie wrapped up in a medieval movie and i just think it's it's amazing the cast around heath ledger his little group they're all fantastic shannon sossaman this is basically between this and 40 days and 40 nights was just this is where i truly fell head over heels in love with her she's just so oh god i love her so much like and yes that does that does take it up a notch for me but it's just the jousting is good the heroic story is good. It's a pretty classic, you know, hero's tale. He's a, he's a squire with no nobility. And then he rises up and he does some stuff by being him. He makes it work and he wins like, yay. It's just a classic feel good sports movie, but the medieval of it all and the humor and our, our boy, Paul Bettany as Jeffrey Chaucer is just, Oh, I mean, that's an all time character. I feel bad because the, director brian hell helgeland Hel- Hel- i'm so sorry i mean I'm, he hasn't directed a lot of movies but the ones he has directed are good i just haven't seen him like people love that movie legend and 42 it's a pretty like prestige movie but really it's just for me it's like the cast is just top to bottom amazing 
And it's just like, I love the contemporary music. It, it really, I'm, I'm a big fan of like music where it's not supposed to be, but it weirdly works. That always gets me over. Uh, I don't have much to say about it. It's not like I'm like, oh, and it's so deep and meaningful and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, they play David Bowie while Heath Ledger dances with Shannon Sossaman and it's, and it's awesome and I love it. <laughs> like the clothes are good. The sets are awesome. The Just everything works. The bad guy is like one of the, all-time bad guys he's so bad <laughs> rufus sewell sewell wow i'm just yeah big fan of this movie totally <laughs> I, I don't know everyone's names are weird sewell 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 weird uh, <laughs> like, uh <laughs> guys i'm falling apart it's fine <laughs> but a knight's tale that's my number eight not much to say other than i just love it i just love it love it love it Number seven, uh, now we're getting into Park Chan-wook territory. One of my favorite contemporary directors still working today. I have yet to see a movie of his I don't love. He topped my 2010s list with The Handmaiden, my favorite movie of the 2010s. And you might be thinking, oh, Park Chan-wook, the 2000s, old boy, for sure, right? Well, that's where you're wrong. Yes, I do love old boy. It's amazing. I love the whole Vengeance trilogy. but for me, when it comes to the aughts in Park Chan-wook, uh, we're talking thirst, baby. Sexy vampire movie starring Song Kang-ho and Kim Ok-min. Uh, it's just, it's so good. It's Park Chan-wook just has the key to my heart. He knows how to make things dark and slick. Everything he makes looks amazing, but it has this, this thread of just evil black humor running through it. The, the final sequence in this movie is just so memorable. I don't want to spoil it if people haven't seen it, but it's just, it, it's brutal, but funny. You're just like chuckling and it's just the love story is so fucked up and weird. Everything about this movie is fucked up and weird. It, it's not only one of my favorite movies from the 2000s, it's probably one of my favorite vampire movies of all time. If I was ranking vampire movies, I don't know how this one isn't like one or two. I can't think of anything in, at the moment that would beat it for me. Uh, I think if you if you like that kind of stuff and you've never seen Thirst, you definitely need to do yourself a favor. I do think that maybe Old Boy is Old Boy is one of those movies where everything kind of came together and it's kind of perfect. And objectively, maybe it's Park Chan Wook's better film of the two thousands. But for me, it's going to be Thirst every time. There's just something about it. Song Kang Ho's character is so weird. He's this priest who like wants to die, but then he becomes a vampire, and it's just Again, like this dark humor, like threaded throughout and, and just everything Park Chan-wook makes looks amazing. And it's just, there's so much going on with all the characters and he's only getting better as he, as he keeps going. The Handmaiden, I think is his crowning achievement, but Decision to Leave, his other recent film is a fucking masterpiece too. I just, I love the guy. Uh, he had to be on the list and he's on the list at seven with Thirst. Speaking of directors that are still working today that are some of my favorites, uh, we're sliding in a Martin McDonough movie here at six in Bruges. Uh, is in Bruges my favorite Martin McDonough movie? That's hard to say. I think I have a special place in my heart for Seven Psychopaths, but thankfully this one was easy for me because in Bruges is the only movie he made in the 2000s besides his short film. Uh, I think it's called Six Shooter that he made. Uh, which is good, but I wasn't going to put it on the list. Instead, I get to just have the easy, the easy option of being like, he made one movie in 2008 
uh, and it's in Bruges, and I love it. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, it's the movie that got me, well, Seven Psychopaths got me into Martin McDonough, but then I watched In Bruges and was like, holy shit, this is even better. Like, I think In Bruges is the better, objectively better film of his first two offerings, but, uh, you know, like I said, Seven Psychopaths is very special to me, and if you watch my 2010s list, uh, it's super high up there. Uh, all that being said, though, like, you know, I, people that have listened to the show before know I'm a big Colin Farrell simp. I'll watch almost anything if he's in it. And uh, this is like Martin Mc, his 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 teaming up with Martin McDonough has been, I, I wouldn't say the the revival of his career because I think he was kind of on the upswing by the time he got around to doing this. But I do think they're they're pairing together. He's just always so good, and and I think. I think it's finally was firmly solidified with Banshees of Inishir, and that was just like, I, I do think that's probably objectively McDonough's best film to date, and Colin Farrell's so fucking good in that movie. And then, you know, it, we teamed up Farrell and Gleason again. Brendan Gleason and Colin Farrell have a remarkable amount of chemistry. They're so good together, and it kind of all started here within Bruges. I don't know if it's the first movie they ever worked on together, uh, but, I mean, this movie is all about just these two characters hiding out and again it's one of those movies where on the surface it's like oh they're two hitmen and they're hiding out but it manages to really subvert a lot of those expectations in the sense that it's not just some goofy hitman movie there's not a lot of death and violence in this movie it's really about just two guys being in bruges and it's funny it's darkly funny there's so many memorable scenes where it's like you're a con terry and you're always gonna be a con and the only thing that's going to change is you're going to become an even bigger cunt. And you're going to grow up and your cunt fucking kids are going to become big cunts too. Uh, <laughs> check back what you said about my cunt fucking kids. <laughs> this means nothing to anyone that hasn't seen it, but oh man, it's just so good. Uh, we're, we're, we're deep in the throes of the good shit on this list now because even just talking about it, I just want to shut this recording off and go watch in Bruges. It's so fun. It's so up my alley. And I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a super fan of Martin McDonough. Uh, if you want to, if you want a real treat, go look up his variety interview that he did with Taylor Swift, uh, a pairing I never in a million years would have dreamed of, but they interview each other and seem to have a healthy amount of respect for each other. And it's a really enlightening conversation. It's also very interesting because they have such different approaches to the material. Um, I would kill to see a Martin McDonough play. Uh, maybe I will get to someday, hopefully fingers crossed uh but yeah for now we've got his i've got his movies at least and uh in bruges is one of my favorites and i fucking love it <laughs> so that's why it's at number six number five we've got lost in translation uh lost in translation is a movie that for a very very long time i've told people is one of my favorite movies of all time uh it's time to put my money where my mouth is that's why it's number five on the list i just love this movie it's one of those movies where it was one of those movies that I saw when I was a little bit younger before I was kind of like a really into cinema. And and as I've talked about on this show before, I was kind of a late bloomer when it comes to, you know, being a true film fan. It wasn't until I was like in my twenties that I started to take it more seriously. And yet this is one of those movies I saw earlier. And even though it's so, slow and languid and thoughtful it really sucked me in initially just because i'm so obsessed with japan i'll watch almost anything set in japan and so just watching scarlett johansson and bill murray like traips around japan is like a true joy 
but it's just one of those movies that's like so thoughtful and the characters interior lives are so rich and yet they don't say a lot they just the movie just kind of shows you through their their actions or their inactions like what's going on with them and again i guess we're seeing a slightly common theme here of just uh i guess i'm really drawn to movies about two people that really don't have any business relating to each other yet they do because bill murray and scarlett johansson's weird friendship that they strike up is so odd but they're both just so lonely in this foreign place and they find this commonality in each other and this is one of the only movies i've ever sat down and read the script for because and the script is so threadbare and beautiful and it's just as open and lonely as as the movie is i, I think sofia coppola I've watched a few of her movies and I often say like, Oh, she's one of my favorite directors, but it's mostly off the strength of this movie. Um, I do need to go through and clean up some of her filmography. Like I haven't seen the bling ring or Marie Antoinette or, uh, the Virgin suicides her. I can't remember, but this is the movie where I'm like, Sofia Coppola will always have a, a pass for me because this movie's so beautiful. Lost in translation is the kind of movie you know, some of these movies on this list, like Thirst, I'm not dying to make some wacky vampire movie. Uh, Lost in Translation is the kind of movie that I would hope to make someday. I love these slow burn, thoughtful, dramatic things where you're just spending time with the characters and getting in their heads. And it's so restrained and beautiful. And again, we're, we're, we're deep into the chunk of the list where now I'm just aching to go put the movie on. <laughs> like, this is the kind of movie where I'll see like a behind the scenes photo of like, Sophia Coppola with her ankles hugged to her chest. Uh, that doesn't make any sense. Knees to chest makes more sense where she's like sitting on the corner of the bed and Bill Murray is just kind of laying there. And you're just like, you just think about what a weird treat it must have been to just make this movie and just get these beautiful shots and wander around Tokyo and stuff. Like, I don't know. It's just a gorgeous movie. It's, it's one of those movies where you either, either love it or you don't. I'm sure this is one of those movies where a lot of people are like, it's too slow and boring and nothing happens. And that is totally valid. Totally valid. For me, though, this is this is this this is the sauce. This is the shit. I, I could watch this movie eternally. Uh, I, I just I love it so much. I want to go watch it right now. Uh, but that's why it's sliding in at number five. Ooh, number four. Uh, now we get to get into some of the stuff I teased up top uh, when I said there was an honorable mention that I didn't put on the list because a different movie from this director made the list instead. Uh, technically, I guess it's two honorable mentions, because I, in my honorable mentions, I have Death Proof, which is a Tarantino movie I really fucking like. Uh, and I guess also an honorable mention, because I, I don't know if I can put them together, uh, Kill Bill Volume 2, uh, because sliding in at number four for real is Kill Bill Volume 1. I basically told myself I was just going to put the Kill Bill movies and just call it good, but I, I didn't want to cop out. So I said, pick one, uh, forced to pick one, Kill Bill Volume 1. It just has a lot more awesome, crazy Japan shit in it. And that is my stuff. I love the Kill Bill movies. I've, uh, you know, I grew up liking Tarantino. He was one of my first guys. I was like, I'm a Tarantino guy. I'm going to emulate him. I think he's amazing. Uh, I've pulled back on that a little bit, but I still love everything he does. I kind of still am surprised when some people say, oh, I don't really like those Kill Bill movies. They're silly. I don't like them. I'm just like, man, it's like one of my favorite directors. 
uh, said, hey, you ever seen anime in, in Japanese movies before? Well, in case you haven't, here's all of that fire hosed into your mouth. And I gladly drank it down. I, I love the first Kill Bill movie. I love the second one, too, and I love Death Proof. But uh, forced to choose, I, I, I choose volume one. I, mostly, you know, it's just like it's all the sword shit, the flashbacks to the training, the the opening fight uh, between uh, her and uh, why am I blanking on her name? Uh, <laughs> uh, Vivica Fox is who I was trying to think of. I mean, what what a fun what a fun idea for a movie. It's like a super squad of assassins. We're just like we're just going there, and you got Uma Thurman and Vivica Fox and Lucy Liu. They're awesome. I don't think we get much david carradine in this one which is like you know i really like him in the second one he he's a good bill you know daryl hannah's fantastic michael madsen's fantastic you know it all does kind of blur together for me i'm trying to remember off the top of my head i think the michael madsen stuff and the buried alive stuff is maybe all in volume two but i uh you know i wish that he, there's like this rumor that there's a cut of the movies where it's just called the whole bloody affair it even puts in some stuff that was left out, and it's all just one chunk. I wish that existed so I could just put that at number four. Uh, but yeah, just purely for the like the anim the literal anime sequence of Lucy Liu's like, uh, you know, her past and how she grew up to become an assassin, and then you know fighting the crazy eighty eights at the club. I mean, all that shit's so good. Go Go is one of my favorites. I love her. Uh, and then, you know, the Lucy Lou fight, it is just straight up Lady Snowblood. Now that I've seen Lady Snowblood, I was like, oh yeah, that is Lady Snowblood. But Lucy Lou, she's so fucking good in this movie. She's so intimidating. The boardroom scene where she cuts the guy's head off. is just awesome. It's all just so awesome. Uh, it's just so fun and it's well-made. I, I think some people like to shit on Tarantino and some of it's like, oh, he's abrasive and annoying. And some of it's his fans are abrasive and annoying. But his movies always look fucking great. They always look good. The action's well shot. Just everything's good. And there's just in it. It's Uma. It's one of Uma Thurman's best movies. And I think she's amazing in pretty much everything she does. Like I, I, I am not ashamed to say. It. I just love Kill Bill Volume One. I love Volume Two and Death Proof as well. But uh, forced to choose, uh, Kill Bill Volume One takes the fourth spot on this list, baby. Speaking of uh, films that were. Hard to choose just one. I'm sure you guys probably could see this one coming, but uh, I couldn't just put the whole Lord of the Rings trilogy on here. It didn't feel fair. Uh, and I did a somewhat recent episode where friends of the show, Josh and Taylor, we all just talked about the Lord of the Rings movies. And by the end of it, I kind of realized that Fellowship of the Ring is, is my favorite Lord of the Rings movie. The Boromir stuff, it just hits. Gandalf the Grey is my favorite version of Gandalf. I just love the world building. I love the journey. I think all the movies are incredible. Two Towers used to be my favorite when I was younger. It has slowly slipped down to number three, I would say. Uh, you know, Return of the King has so many good epic moments. But for me, just the Fellowship of the Ring, our, our adventurers set out. There's so many good moments in the movie. Uh, it just even the beginning with Bilbo and Gandalf, like, Do not take me for some conjurer of cheap tricks. I am not trying to rob you. I'm trying to help you. Uh, it, it's just, yeah, Gandalf the Grey fucking rules. And Gandalf the White is very strong and cool, but he's way lamer than Gandalf the Grey. I love Gandalf the Grey. And then the, just the Boromir storyline is so fucking tragic and good. I don't think I had appreciated it until this last rewatch. Uh, there's really not much to say. Some people don't like Lord, the Lord of the Rings movies, which is, again, always surprising to me. And I say fair play, but 
all that being said, I think the Lord of the Rings movies, all three of them, are truly, truly some of the greatest accomplishments ever put to film. I find all three of them to be full-on masterpieces. It's one of those like lightning in the bottle situations where just everything works. Uh, you know, there's a lot of behind the scenes of, oh, you know, uh, Viggo Mortensen broke his toe and all that stuff. Haha. But at the same time, you just, they captured lightning in a bottle. Everything's gorgeous. Everything just sucks you in. They, they were like, Hey, you know what looks like a fantasy land, New Zealand. And they were right. It works. The orcs look great. The practical effects. This is like before Peter Jackson was like, let's just CGI dragons in everywhere. Uh, again, like lightning in the bottle. It, it just, everything worked out. I, you know, I have an entire episode talking about the Lord of the Rings movies, so I'm not going to wax too much poetic on it. I just, man, uh, and Fellowship's my favorite. That, that that one was an easy choice. I, you know, I said it on the episode. I'm saying it again here. Uh, it's just, it's good. It's, it's got all the elements. Not that the other two are any worse than they are. This one's just like top tier for me. Uh, easy choice, Fellowship of the Ring at three. These last two are, are real, real big hitters for me, though. Uh, this one, I was, I'm excited because I realized, it was almost like the second I realized I could make this list, I was like, oh yeah, cool. I mentioned it in my 2010s, but Yorgos Lanthimos is one of my favorite directors working today. Uh, he has, he technically made a movie before this, but we don't, I guess we don't talk about that movie. I haven't seen it. Maybe I'll find out why someday. But uh, I think in either 2008 or 2009, he made Dogtooth. And it still is my favorite Yorgos Lanthimos movie. And I'm, you know, 2009, I'm, and I'm ha happy to just slide that into number two. Oh boy, what's to say about Dogtooth? I mean, again, some common features of, of this list, a very contained movie. It's just about a family and a house. If you've never seen it, I don't really want to spoil much for it. Uh, it's like part of the fun of the first watch of it is like some of the shock value. But I will say, uh, you know, like most good movies with weird twists and stuff, th the more you watch it, the more it just kind of adds to, like, once you realize the fucked up situation and you sort of go back to the, 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 the <laughs> you go back to the beginning, uh, you just realize like how many layers deep this thing is and how crazy it is. And it just works. There's some truly crazy things that happen. Like, especially there's something that happens about like two thirds of the way for through the man cool we're here at the end and i can't finish a sentence uh, there's something that happens about two-thirds of the way through the movie that could be like a full-on deal breaker for some people and i get it but i just like dark fucked up stuff uh yorgos lanthimos is another director who makes really dark movies but sees the sense of humor in them a lot like park cham wook does and it just works for me dogtooth is like contained and interesting and there's just scenes from it i think about all the time it's he he's openly said when he works with this writer whose name I won't even begin to try to pronounce. It's a crazy Greek name, uh, but they basically just think of scenes and then they find a way to like string them together. And this is like the pinnacle to me of, of that type of writing where it all adds to each other, but it also makes like every scene stand out. And the way he shoots the movie, the way he frames things is super weird and static. And like things will just be in the corner of a frame where normally you're, more used to like a more Wes Anderson style center frame this and and put everything on the thirds. He's like, nah, you're like you're gonna see the back of a head in the lower corner and then just empty space in the rest of it. And it's just interesting. It draws you in and the story's weird and fucked up and yet it's somehow Yorgos Lanthimos has this way of making movies where everything's so off kilter and odd and yet 
and the characters are so dry and kind of emotionless, but it somehow makes the movie stand out like metaphorically in terms of like what it's trying to say and the things it has to say about like family and being sheltered and adolescence and coming of age and, and like what it's like to interact with the world and how your worldview is like shaped by who raises you and your environment. Like there's so much to dig into and yet it only stays laser focused on this one family and what they're doing. And yet it has so much to say. And I think he's really brilliant at that. And I just think everybody's incredible in the movie. All the scenes are, are just, man, they're so insane. Like I don't want to spoil any of them if you haven't seen the movie. And this is, definitely one of the movies on this list i assume a lot of people haven't seen and so it's like you've seen it if you've seen it you know what i'm talking about and if you haven't boy you're in for a treat if you like weird fucked up shit uh but yeah dog tooth uh, easy number two on this list last but certainly not least in fact the most <laughs> some would say uh my number one movie a movie i discovered through this beautiful show that i do or crappy show whatever you want to say about it uh, my number one movie of the 2000s is Mulholland Drive, a movie I think I gave like an 8 or an 8.5 to, but now say is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's David Lynch's Mulholland Drive. I, you know, I have a whole episode on it, so I guess I won't talk too much about it. But, you know, it's worth mentioning that this is a movie that ever since I watched it, it's really, really grown on me. And I think about it all the time, probably like once a week or once a month, I'll look up scenes from it, whether it's the... Naomi Watts audition scene, or I really, really like the scene where they're doing the songs and it's like, da, 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 da. Oh, baby, I told every little star just how sweet I think you are. And everybody turns the episode off. <laughs> Why haven't I told you? Uh, but yeah, that, that scene with Justin Thoreau where he looks at Naomi Watts and they just stare at each other. The movie's so weird and dreamlike, uh, a lot like Lost in Translation and maybe Dogtooth to some extent. Uh, these are the movies that influence my own work, influence my own writing. These are the kind of movies I'd love to make. Mulholland Drive was certainly a point of reference for the feature film that I'm planning on making somewhat soon. It, it, it's, you know, I just, I mean, there's so much to say about it. I, it just, it lives in my brain. All the scenes are so memorable. And it's it, Naomi Watts is just stunning in this movie. It, there's something about her and David Lynch working together to make this where, again, I, I think what happens when you're making these like best of lists is you're, you end up talking about a lot of movies that were just lightning in a bottle perfection. Not that I don't think David Lynch is like a master, but Mulholland Drive has certainly spoiled me on him because everything I watch of his just doesn't compare to this. This is... This is the perfect movie. And it's funny because it's like it was going to be a TV show. And that's why it's so off kilter. And some of the scenes are shot a certain way. And, and some of the other scenes are shot another way. And yet it just somehow all wraps up to be this like tragic tale of like fucked up Hollywood. And once you realize like how much of it was really just a dream, and then you're shown the reality of things and like how bad things got and like who's dead in the bed and the, the little people like everything about it's so weird and it works though i don't think i'd ever aspire to go as like off the wall as lynch does but he's just such a interesting brilliant guy and i do think this is his best film at least as far as the stuff i've seen from him so far um nothing's really gonna quite match it but i just like i love it like naomi watts and laura herring are 
brilliant in the movie. Justin Theroux's great, of course, too. And just like all the all the characters that show up are so weird and distinct. I feel bad because like I, I tried to give Twin Peaks a shot because friend of the show Kurt is always like, Yes, you should watch it. It's so good. It wasn't quite working for me. I I don't know if it's just like nothing ever compares to Mulholland Drive and I'm always like disappointed or something or what, but it's just it's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's a movie I think about all the time. It's the only movie I own a criterion of. I I just it's like a point of inspiration. I, I use shots from this movie as like reference points for stuff that I'm doing. I, I just I I don't know. It, there's something about the way David Lynch does things and there's something I admire about directors like him and I'd put maybe Wong Kar Wai in this in this category maybe Paul Thomas Anderson to a certain extent where they create these worlds that you just sink into and you're so drawn in by it. And I can't, it feels tough to even describe or elaborate what it is about Mulholland Drive that's so special because it's one of those movies where you just kind of have to put it on and watch it. And if it's for you, it's really for you and it just grabs you and doesn't let go. And you just feel like you're lost in this world for two-ish plus hours how long is Mulholland drive uh yeah it, it, it flies by I, I can't even believe it's over two hours uh but uh, it's just i don't know it, i think it's really special and i use it as a reference point for a lot of stuff i think that says a lot about how much i like it uh you know we get uh we get a little bit of gay making its way in the top 10 which i'm always i'm always psyched about <laughs> but i I just, yeah, I think this movie's really special. I just don't know what to say. I just love the balls of Lynch to have the the reason I watched that Justin Throw audition scene often is there's like two full songs that just play while he just like pushes in on Justin Throw and this is the girl, like the delivery of things, even just lines are so memorable from the film. The weird cowboy guy, all the stuff with the phones, the weird room that's behind the plexiglass, like half of it makes like no sense it's like oh the there's that guy that they're in the diner and when they walk out to the alley there's the oil covered person and he dies and has like a heart attack all the stuff going on with the hitman is super weird but then you realize it's like kind of a metaphor for she hired him and then wished he had failed and so that's kind of what's going on maybe that wacky comedy sequence where he like shoots somebody in the butt and they don't even realize they've been shot like it's just all it doesn't seem like it should work and yet it does like perfectly it's just a gorgeous movie there's something about nobody does dream logic like david lynch does there's something about the way he shoots things that makes you feel like you feel when you're having a dream and i don't know a lot of people that can even touch him when it comes to that and it, it just it sucks you in it, like he's a really special filmmaker and i think Mulholland drive is his most special piece of work uh and so that's why it's number one. There's the easy number one for me. I do love Dogtooth a lot. And, you know, Lord of the Rings is, you know, all, all, all the movies, I'd say my top like eight are just like, oof, so fucking good. <laughs> what else is there to say? They're my favorites. Like, I wish I had time to sit here and talk about Mahal and Drive, but I obviously can't find the words anyway. All I can do is say, I do love it. And it's my number one. Uh, and there you go. I came in early to work to record this episode, and now I have a minute before I'm supposed to clock in. So I'd love to 
wax poetic on the 2000s and be like, the 2000s was a great decade and yada, yada, yada. But you just listen to me whinge on for 50 plus minutes. I got to get to work. So let's just keep this short and sweet, shall we? Uh, Thank you for listening. If you do listen to this episode, I'm sorry it's not a regular episode. I thought it'd be fun to do this. And uh, somehow we got through it together. (laughs) You and me, listener, you're the best. As always, I love you. And uh, if you're hearing this, I hope you have a good day. Uh, Send me your list. Uh, I would love, I would love, oh, what a dream. I would love to know people's top 10 from the 2000s. What a fascinating list that would be to look at. Please uh, fill my inbox up. Uh, If you're listening, you probably know me. So just DM me. Uh, Or if you're some person that's hearing this, uh, uh, email clairetendingclassics at gmail.com. I'll look at your list. I want to see it. (laughs) But I hope you have a great day. Uh, You're the best. And as I unfortunately always say at the end of every episode, I'll catch you all on the flip flop later. Bye, guys. Jason over here. Cindy Adam wants to see Jason. You want to tell me something, Adam? This is the girl. Excellent choice.